Hello and welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Our entire mission is to help you live on purpose, with purpose, and connect to the exact work that God has prepared for you and called for you to do. And I want to let everybody know out there that my book, you might have heard about it, it's coming out April 27th. It's called On Purpose, With Purpose, Discovering Your Best Life Now. And I would love for you to be a part of our launch team. We want to create a movement because here's, here's what I believe. You know, we all hear about the why, the what, and the how. But what is absolutely foundational, what has to precede being able to connect to that, including our purpose and everything else, our calling is who we are. Not who we see in the mirror, but who God made us to be. And this book is about that entire journey. We're getting incredible feedback. So here's what happens. I'll just make this quick. Join the launch team. You just go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. You're going to get a free copy, a digital copy of the book. It's normally $16.99 when it's going to be on Amazon. Uh, you're going to get access to some uh, some of my courses. We got some great surprises. Also, the only thing I'd like you to do as part of the launch team is just order a copy of the book, lead us a review, and share some of the stuff that we're going to be putting on social media. So we just want to make an impact out there. So please join the On Purpose With Purpose launch team. And as a part of that circle of champions, we got some other great stuff uh, in store for you. So with that, we are uh, we have a great episode for you coming up next. Is it possible in these turbulent and uncertain times to not only succeed in life, but also to exceed expectations? As a naval aviator maneuvering F-14s on the path to Top Gun, John lived his dream every time he stepped onto the runway. Little did he know he was one curveball away from a complete change in direction. This wouldn't be the only life-altering experience he would face either. As a Fortune 500 manager, John shares how a retreat from a busyness of corporate life turned into head-on collision with destiny that landed him in the hospital, followed by years of therapy and recovery. The following journey as a serial entrepreneur and executive coach taught him critical lessons needed for achieving everything you dream of in spite of what the human adventure throws at you. Stay tuned for an incredible story. Welcome to TGIF at Work podcast. It's uh, my delight to have a very good friend with us today, uh, John Ramstead. And John and I have known each other for several years, and he's in a similar business that I am in helping people fulfill their purpose and destiny and uh, is doing a great job of it. But he has an interesting journey which got him to this place, and that's what we're going to talk about today. John, welcome to TGI Fit Work Podcast. <laughs> yeah, Osh, thank you uh, for having me on, and just thank you for your incredible friendship and mentorship and encourage over these many years as I, you know, just kept taking these small steps forward into this future that God had waiting for me that honestly, at the time I didn't know existed. So it's been quite a ride. Well, those of you listening, you cannot see the screen. We both do video and audio in our podcast. So if you're looking at the screen, you'll see that John has some oxygen coming into him because he went through COVID 
and he's the only person I know that got it worse than me. And uh, he went through a very, very difficult season and was hospitalized. And John, we're glad you're better and recovering now. But it's been a long road to get back, hasn't it? Yeah, I didn't expect this. Us, it's interesting. My sister and brother had it. It was like a mild flu, so I honestly wasn't worried. And then uh, two weeks after I tested positive, I was in the ICU and got worse from there. So it's affected my lungs and my heart and all kinds of things I didn't expect. You know, it's interesting, though, and something we can even talk about is, you know, when everything externally gets thrown completely upside down. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, staying connected, both not only to my faith, but to the sense of purpose, who I am in Christ, was like this true north through this completely unexpected event that allowed both my wife and I to kind of walk through this with a level of peace. It didn't surprise me, but I got to tell you, well, maybe pleasantly surprised me. How's that? I thought I'd be mentally maybe in a different place when things get the rug gets pulled out from underneath you like it's happened in the past. But so, yeah, it's been quite a journey. I got a ways to go also. I tell you, uh, being in the middle of COVID, when you have that extreme body pain and, mm-hmm. and it's like having a heavy clouds and storm over your life, it, it puts the world in a freeze motion where you just want to step off and uh, it can really disorient you and just send you off into another world. And I know you just had it horribly being in the hospital and intensive care, right? That's correct. I was in intensive care for a week. The first, I can remember four or five days, like every day it got worse and worse and worse. They were very close to ventilating me and my wife couldn't see me. Actually, that was the hardest thing. I was at peace with maybe this is the end, right? I get to go see the father. I've met him before in person, as as you know. The thing that, you know what, I didn't want to leave my family and I didn't want to leave alone and isolated because she couldn't come visit. And I, I think laying there in the moment, those are the things that honestly really bothered me was, you know, I just developed such an amazing relationship with my wife and my boys and friends through all this journey I've been on since my accident. And I know what's waiting for me because I've also experienced that. But yeah, it, it was hard. I think it was way harder. It's always harder for the family member and the caregiver. And I got to tell you, any of us out there that know somebody who's family, spouse, parents, or either suffering with this or have passed away, you know, maybe just call them today or shoot them a text because I'll guarantee you it's way harder for them than somebody I think that's actually going through some kind of illness themselves. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, my wife did not get it. Thank God. I don't know what we'd have done if both people had gotten it at the same time. That would have been really rough. But, um, you know, one of the things that you and I both experienced is we both had, you know, we've been at the bottom of the barrel in terms of life and uh, what life threw at us. But we've also overcome by the grace of God and now in a place of helping others and pouring into others. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because you've released a new book called On Purpose, With Purpose. And the subtitle is Discovering How to Live Your Best Life. And so we're going to unpack some of that. But before we do, I want to get into some of your history, because again, if you're not watching this, you'll see in the background of John's office, I assume those are F-14s. Behind yes, you, sir. 
<laughs> yep, they sure are. And you were in the Navy, and we thank you for your service to this country. And so in your book, you talk about really quite an extraordinary story of how difficult it really is to become a pilot. And you talked about how that was a lifelong dream you had, and you had others around you that said, you know, that's a pipe dream. You don't need to be even thinking about that. But you put aside the naysayers, and not only did you become a pilot, you finished first in your class in the nation, not just in your flight school, but in the nation. That's quite an accomplishment. Take us back to that time when you first thought you wanted to be a pilot and how that journey happened. Yeah, my, my grandpa came here in the early 1900s, Oz from Norway, and could barely speak English and enlisted to fight for the army in World War I. And that always struck me because he could, you know, just as a new member of this country and wanted to fight for it. And then my dad enlisted for World War II with my grandpa's blessing the day he turned 17. And he became a Navy radio man and tail gunner in the Pacific. And just because my dad's, I think, love of history and all these stories, I read everything about the Battle of the Atlantic and the Pacific and submarine warfare and the Battle of Britain, the aviation growing up. And so it was my dream to be a pilot. I go to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship. It's the summer of 1986. A movie comes out called Top Gun. And I go with my girlfriend at the time. And I'm watching the movie. And I remember, I'm a year and a half away from getting my commission. And as I'm watching the movie, the end of the movie, I had a different response, I think, than everybody else. I walked out of that movie theater like totally despondent. Because I, what I saw in that film, I said, if I do that, I'll fail. If I do that, I'll embarrass myself. If I do that, I might die. So I actually got back, because my self-image and all kinds of things we could unpack just growing up, there was so much stuff in, that I'd allowed into my head that was not serving me well. I didn't even know it was there, honestly. But I got back to my unit, Oz, and I actually didn't even put aviation down on my selection sheet. I put down submarines, surface, and intelligence. I was that convinced I was going to fail. And then I just felt like I gave up on myself. And I actually talked to my dad, I was close to, and some other people. And what I got to, and this was a real kind of pivot point in my life, is like, man, do you want to pursue a worthwhile dream? Do you want to bet on yourself? Or do you want to settle for something you know that you can succeed at, but isn't really exciting for you? And I don't want to you know, there's a whole bunch of guys I know that went submarines and surface and they absolutely loved it. But I just knew that that wasn't, that wasn't my dream. Right. And so I actually said, well, I missed all the deadlines, but I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for aviation and through some incredible set of circumstances, I could see God, I wasn't a believer, but I grew up in the church, but I really wasn't, I'd never really connected to a personal relationship. I've never accepted Christ as my savior. I could see his hand on that. Because I got into flight school when they told us at the time that for every 10,000 people that apply, only one person is going to get to fly a fighter because of the interest, because of the movie Top Gun. Remember, this is 86, 87. I didn't know if that was true or not, but that was my mindset. It's like, who am I to think that I could be the one? And I got into flight school and I'm, now I'm like, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> what I do? But here's what happened is, I'm heading down to flight school and I'm pretty nervous. And my dad pulls me aside with some of the best advice I've ever 
been given. I followed it my whole life. My dad's very wise. He said, listen, John, when you get down there, there's going to be one person that everybody's talking about, the ace of the base. He's going to be another student. He's going to be senior to you. So you're not competing with him because we competed by, you know, kind of class number, right? And there was all these different squadrons, but people got grouped into based on when they started. And my dad knew that. He said, go find him and buy him a beer and just see what he's doing. See if he'll help you. And when I got down to flight school, there was one guy. His name was John Foster. And we went out and he became a friend. He became a mentor. And I got to tell you, Oz, his approach, his mindset, how he thought about it, how he trained was different than I was doing. And anybody else I knew, it was a lot of extra work. But here's what I saw is he was going to graduate number one. And only the person who graduates number one actually gets to choose what they fly. If I graduated number two in my class, it's going to be needs of the Navy. And I could be stuck in a transport plane for real. That's the way it works. And if you graduate number one, that's still not even always guaranteed. But that's the only way you even have a shot. Everything else is just luck of the draw. So I started doing everything that John did. As a matter of fact, my wife came down on a Friday night. We were engaged at the time. She was still in college. We'd met in college. She came down to surprise us and went to the McGuire's pub, this place where we always got together on the weekends. And she got there and walked in and everyone said, hey, Donna, yeah, John's not here. He won't be here until a lot later. She's like, what? Like I came to surprise him. Well, I was at home studying, game playing the training scenarios and doing all these things because I knew us the next day, John was going to call me and ask me if I did the work Friday before I went out with my friends. So not only was it this powerful accountability, but I also, so here's what I learned from that is if you set a really worthwhile dream, go find somebody else that put in the work to accomplish that dream. Then assess that plan, assess that work, and then ask yourself if you would be willing to do what it takes to get the results that somebody else did. And then if you decide to move forward, because there are going to be setbacks that you have to decide in advance, I am not going to quit. Because if somebody else could accomplish some of those things that I want to do, I can too, even if the evidence is in front of me. And then I just got to have the courage every day to step off and step forward. And that is how I was able to do as well as I did. Because my dad's advice, incredible mentorship of John and others. You know, that's uh, very interesting. As you were talking about that, I had a picture of the mentorship that I got from Gunnar Olson, mm -hmm. the founder of the International Christian Chamber of Commerce that was in 75 countries at the time I met him. And I was at the bottom of my pit experience and uh, at a low point in my life and had so many losses in my life. And I really was feeling very discouraged, but he gave me some insight that helped me look at life from a different perspective, just as you were forced to look at things differently than what you had before. But that was so important to be able to do that and to have somebody speak into your life. And so that really bodes well for the importance of a mentor in your life and to have somebody you can just inquire of about something when they have gone through a path that you're being led into. So that's a great story. So you've written this new book and why'd you write it? <laughs> After, you know, the 
what was it nine years ago as you said early on right i had an accident that put me in the hospital for two years i had to rebuild every part of my life from my health I had a severe traumatic brain injury to my identity. Yeah, and we, we should probably stop there and just give our listeners a perspective on that accident that you had because it's so important to the story and important to people understanding what you've overcome to be where you are. Yeah, so let's rewind the tape to just before the accident. You know, you mentioned, you know, about my business career and path. It'd be fun to circle back because after I got out of the Navy, I did not want to get out of the Navy. Um, I just gotten orders to go to Top Gun. I couldn't have been more excited. It was a dream come true. And I was, the next weekend, I'm playing softball, and I get drilled in the face by a line drive softball freak accident. Had nerve damage to my eye, lost my medical, and I'm out. Mm. I got to tell you, I was angry. I was bitter. Whatever I knew, who I thought God was, or I think like, he doesn't care about me. Something... That was amazing. In that period of time, God led three men into my life house who connected with me, who mentored me, who helped me find out what I was good at, my skills, my talents, my gifts, my passions, and what I should be doing just in the business world. Let me ask you this. How long had you been flying at that point? Seven years. I got to tell you, my running mates, my peers, all of them became either commanding officers or more. Well, that was my goal. I, I was willing to put in the work to be a commanding officer of a fighter squadron. Make the Navy a career. That was honest. I had no intention of getting out. And all of a sudden, I'm on the thing about this. I, was, I couldn't find a job. So I'm in, if anybody's from North San Diego, I'm in the suburb of northern San Diego called Tierra Santa, knocking on doors, hoping somebody's home to sell them a cell phone and a cell phone plan. This is right after I got out. And the sounds of my dreams are roaring over my head as a reminder for what I didn't have hmm. as they were coming into Miramar. Hmm. Now, that's where I was when these three men connected with me. And it was through this, creating that connection. John Maxwell says, right, you have to connect before you can pull. And it was these three guys that led me to the Lord and discipled me and mentored me and my wife. Do you know, we've been lifelong friends. Don and I flew back just before COVID to have a dinner with the eight of us, these three couples and their wives who've been friends of ours now for 25 years. They've been in our lives. It was God planting the scenes all the way back then, us, of the power of bringing our faith out into standing in Barnes and Noble. That's where I met the first guy of these three, Jeff. I was looking at a book and he just looked over and said, well, that's an interesting book. What makes you read that? I'm like, oh, I'm getting kicked out of the Navy. Well, that started a conversation that led to right? A transformative change. So fast forward though, as I got into business. Let me stomp you there because you, there's a point here that I think our listeners should get. And um, in my book, Change Agent, I talk about six stages of a call of a change agent. And that first stage is crisis, mm -hmm. recruitment through crisis. And so what you just described was a crisis in your life that forced you to take stock to cry out, to allow the intervention of somebody into your life. That happened to me in 1974, where my dream of playing the professional golf tour died. And that is the one thing that allowed me to stop and ask questions about purpose and why I was on earth. And that led to a transformed life. So, 
Go ahead. I just want our listeners to know that that often the crisis is often the front door to the larger story of your life. Yeah, I think, well, looking back all these different crisis times. So think about this. I got out, I get a job with a technology company putting in 90 hours a week and then the internet bubbles pops, you know, night, literally 90 hours a week, 2000 internet bubble pops and we're, we're all out on the street. So then I get a job at a telecom company and I'm working crazy hours and traveling and flying and I move up in leadership. And then we have the telecom crisis, 2003. And then I go to wall street. I'm like, okay, I got to get out of this technology thing. Awesome. So I go to wall street in 2004 and I build a company a practice at a firm and 2008 happened. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> God, when is this going to, you know, come on. But every time I had a setback, because I really had drifted from any kind of sense of purpose. Uh, so my only thing I knew how to do was to work harder. And that was kind of always my motto is I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can outwork anybody. I said that proudly, regardless of what it did to my marriage, my relationship with my kids or my health or things like that. So 2011, if I bring you back, I was, you know, professionally, I'd been able to navigate through this financial crash grow, build a team, started a couple nonprofits just based on some passions I had. But I got to tell you, I, I would describe where I was in that moment as smoldering discontent. I was miserable. I had never been working so hard. From the outside in, everybody, I'm sure, would have said, wow, they must be doing awesome. My marriage was on the rocks. I didn't have a good relationship with my kids. But from the world's definition of success, I was rocking it. What I realized looking back is I was trying to live up to all the expectations that they had, right? That being everybody else around me, except me and God in my life. And I got to tell you, they are a terrible master. No wonder I was so miserable, but I like, it's interesting today. I'll ask people or, you know, it comes up in conversations. Also, when I was first launching into executive coaching, I went out and interviewed 10 CEOs. Half were believers and half were not. I did that intentionally. Here's something really fascinating, though. Every one of them on these interviews, because I wanted to see what problems they had and if the kind of coaching I wanted to do would fit, everybody used the exact same language. And that was, in this conversation, I would like to live life more alive. I'd like to live more life to the full, or I'd like to live the full life Jesus talked about. What I know is I absolutely don't have it. It is way off in the distance, and I don't even know what to change to even move toward it. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? I totally get that because that had been my quest. Is like Jesus said, hey, I've, I've come to give you life so that you may live life to the full. Now, what does that mean? So many dimensions to that. So here's what happened is I was in this miserable place. I get invited by a friend of mine who's on the board of Family Talk. James Dobson had left Focus to start Family Talk. And they were going to do a retreat with the board and some other kind of friends in the ministry, just a small group up in Montana. And so I flew up to Montana for this retreat. I was really excited about it. It's somebody's ranch that they had donated some time. They're like a gentleman's ranch. And we get in on Thursday. Now, Friday, we're going to go on a horseback ride to the back of the property to go have lunch. And I'm the first one saddled. And my horse is, is right next to the fence. And all of a sudden, he starts trotting out into this open area. And then all of a sudden, he's bolts. He takes off. 
he's just accelerating and I'm flat on my back and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades and I'm scared I'm going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and get killed. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do in the moment and that was to squeeze with my legs as hard as I can. Now you're smirking. Do you know what I'm telling the horse, Oz? Go. <laughs> I'm telling him to go faster now. I did not read the owner's manual. I'm telling this guy to light the afterburners. And man, he found another gear. I got to tell you, I was flat out. Like, it was one of the few times I've been scared flying in the cockpit. Very few other times I was scared. And we're going faster and faster. We're heading straight at a set of steel, you know, these three inch rolled steel beams of this big paddock, you know, kind of corral area. And all we had to do was turn and we wouldn't hit it. So I grabbed, you know, I reached down. We're going faster and faster and faster. I grab the rein. I pull on his left rein to get him to turn. And he just pulls his head back, doesn't break stride, and accelerates. I was totally incredulous. So I reached down again. I grabbed his rein. I pull even harder. And he just yanked his head straight back. And I got to tell you, I, I, my mind absolutely spun out of control. Like, I got to jump on the source. If I jump on the source, I'm going to break my neck. If I break my neck, I'm going to die. And I just... I mean, I've, you know, been in combat, I've been shot at, I've, you know, raised teenage boys. I mean, nothing prepared me for that moment. And then at a full gallop, maybe 15, 20 yards in front of this fence, I knew we were going to hit it. Everything slowed down. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing <laughs> I remember. I didn't see this, but people that were there, because there was a whole group watching this whole thing happen, unfortunately. But they said the horse came in, dropped his back in, and he bucked so hard, he flipped over, and he slammed into the fence, rump first on the ground, on the side. And when he did that, I went Superman into the fence. So my, my skull impacted the top bar. It crushed the entire left side of my skull, broke virtually every bone in my skull, the base of my skull, the back of my skull, except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. I lost eight teeth, got shattered, broken. I broke my neck. I shattered my shoulder completely. And then the second bar down hit me across the chest and crushed my rib cage. And one of the broken ribs punctured my left lung. Mm. Now we found out later, us from multiple doctors. Some were believers and some weren't, but just what happened to me medically is not survivable. I actually had a guy follow up with me a couple of years ago and say, John, I want to just let you know that God brought me back to my faith. He'd been an army doctor in, in Afghanistan. I'm in Iraq. And what he saw there, just he couldn't reconcile God with what he saw and had walked away. And he goes, John, God used this to bring me back to my faith because watching you recover is proof that God actually is out there and does exist because what happened to you is and was not survivable. Hmm. So I, I ended up being in ICU for five weeks. And then I was at Craig hospital for 20 months at the specialty hospital for a severe traumatic brain injury, 23 surgeries. Hmm. So it was, it was a long road, Boy. but I woke up on the ground into more pain that I could even describe. I, I cannot put it into words. The pain, the panic, the everything. You know that saying, God will, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not true. <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> and you know what? It is also not in scripture because I wouldn't look for it afterwards. I'm like, oh man, someone's kidding me. Right when I was literally beyond my breaking point, like 
in a realm that I never even knew existed. One of the guys said, all of a sudden, John, you know, they were holding me down. They said, I just saw you relax so completely. It looked like you were sinking in the ground. He thought he just watched me die. It was in that moment, Oz, God was standing right next to me. I was in his presence. And somebody asked me afterwards, like, where did he come from? I'm like, that's a great question. But I knew instantly the answer. He didn't come down. He didn't appear. He was actually already there and had always been there. He revealed himself the way that, you know, I, I pray now for God to reveal his will. It's not some hidden secret. It's there. But when, as soon as he did, oh, my gosh, the love. It gives me goosebumps right there. It was just emanating. It was powerful. It was had a physical weight to it, like being at a beach on the ocean and the waves are coming in and they're rolling up over you and you can feel that weight of the waves as they wash up. That was happening as this power was just emanating, but this power was love. It was God. It was the fabric of the universe. It was everything. But as soon as I felt that it was personal, this wasn't just some general thing. This was between Father God and me, John. And I remember, and I didn't know how bad I was crushed. The first thought I had, as soon as I felt it, was I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. Because mm. anything and everything in my path, this was made known to me, it was so clear, is not even relevant to the relationship and the love God has for me right now in the present. And in an instant, I understood the nature of God, which I had never really understood before us. And that was one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever been given above the gift of being allowed to stay here in, in my life. So we've got about 10 minutes left and I want to, I just want to bring attention to what you just said that might be people listening that, you know, this book sounds like it's just another book on purpose, but it's much more than that because it talks about a guy that's being very vulnerable on his journey and how God got him through that. And as we've been going through this COVID crisis, there's been many people going through extraordinary adversity, but I doubt that they've gone through what John's gone through. The level of adversity could be, but my guess is maybe not. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this book. And so I would encourage you, uh, you can get it in our bookstore at tgifbookstore.com, tgifbookstore.com. And uh, John also has a website on this called beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. And uh, you can get it there as well. But for the last few minutes, let's talk about some practical aspects of what people are going to find in the book. Uh, one of the things you say is 85% of people feel purposelessness. How'd you discover that? And uh, why is that? You know, it's interesting. Some research, not only from Barna, but just asking people. I mean, I get to work with Fortune 100 leaders, the Pentagon, the military. These are my clients. This is kind of where I've been working. And I ask people, you know, what's your level of either living alive or content or, you know, do you understand your why? And he, but here's why I think so many people struggle with it. And now, you know, I, I think if we, we coach a lot of people, it's a hard question to answer. 
because the entire leadership industry, let's just focus on that here in our country. We spend $25 billion a year on leadership training. Nothing is, you look at all the Gallup data, nothing has changed on engagement and retention and everything for 15 years. Because everybody focuses on the why and the what and the how and however you want to label that vision, mission, purpose, all these things. What they don't focus on, and I think this is what I found was missing us, was who, who you are. Are you the best version of yourself? Because I could take your best mentorship, your best coaching, your best advice as a CEO of a Fortune 100 company, as an entrepreneur, as a pastor, as a guy that works at a, you know, a bait shop. It doesn't matter. But if I am flawed as a person, I'll take your best advice and I will not get your results. I will not get your outcomes. And that was actually what this book, what I found was, is when you connect to that best version of yourself, because I've been searching for that purpose prior. That's why I was so miserable. And I felt like it was this buried treasure that I didn't have the gifts to find. What I found was I was going about the process backwards. When I started working on answering two questions, who is God? Because I was in his, his presence. Not who am I, but who did he make me to be? Then the purpose the calling, the mission, the vision, all of those things. It was like the mist cleared on the whiteboard. And I, it was all like right in front of me. And it had been the whole time. And I wanted to give people the gift of connecting to their best self, the person God sees, finding that purpose and waking up every single morning fired up to go through external tragedy and things like that, but have a sense internally of peace of joy, because I never had that going through diversities in the past. I have had that in the last few years. And I got to tell you, man, that has transformed everything. And I think if you just wrote an article about how we need to show up in the workplace as ambassadors of Christ, what does it mean to have that character? Well, we have to know what his character is so we can replicate it out in the world. Everything, I think all these ills and problems that we see in the world today, if we have an awakening of people to what that not only looks like, but can figure out how to walk that out and do that in community, we could literally, I think, transform this nation and others in just a couple years. And that doesn't take a whole bunch of people doing crazy stuff. It takes all of us showing us up as the best version of ourselves, treating people, loving God and loving others and understanding what that actually truly means and how to live it out. So that's why I wrote the book to actually give people, just like when we we're in the military, what is that mission briefing? What is that training manual on how to start, go through, and then be able to accomplish a very important mission successfully? So Amen. that's the reason I wrote it, buddy. So as we close out, I want to kind of leave something with you to ponder. And that is one of the things that John talks about is the... Um, four elements, key elements to really live your purpose. And those are true north, discovering your true north, discovering your identity, discovering the present position and convergence. Now, wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? Well, you're going to have to get the book to know that. So we're going to leave that one for you to discover because the book is worth getting, not just for that, but all the other things that you're going to gain from it. And, uh, so, John, appreciate you writing the book. Appreciate the 
you persevering through things that any normal man might have been destroyed by and be out on the street because of it. But thank you for your love for God and country and uh, just being a blessing. So tgifbookstore.com is our website to get the book, or you can go to beyondinfluence.com. That's John's website. Is there any other websites you'd want them to go to? No, I think right now beyondinfluence.com, our website there, we're, we have a launch team right now. If anybody wants to join it, just let me know, or you can reach out to me there because we're doing a private coaching sessions as a group. We've had tons of people showing up on Thursday nights to actually go through this book. The entire goal of this book is to actually making it super actionable. So at the end of this, you actually have a personal action plan, a flight plan to put every, all this stuff in place. It's not just a general you know, book like you know some of these are. So I wanted to make it like, if you're going to read it, you're going to get something out of it, was my hope. Was. So yeah, just beyondinfluence.com, reach out there. You can get in touch with me our team, join the launch team. You know, uh, I'm speaking all over the country. You can come hear me speak or, you know, things like that. So. All right. Well, thanks, John. And uh, thanks for being with us today, everybody. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube and also like us on the iTunes channel. That helps us notify you when new programs come out and you won't miss any. So God bless. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, my you. pleasure. Thank you, Oz, for all you do. 